we're here together, and uh, we've been in a conversation uh, called Ready, where we're looking at what it means for us as followers of Christ to actually get ready, to get ready for uh, whatever awaits us. And, and often we say, oh, we got to get ready, and we go for the enemy's attack, and certainly that is a, a large element of what's awaiting us. But we also want to get ready for God's blessing, that God desires to do beautiful, wonderful, and great things in and through our lives, and a lot of us were just not prepared for it. And the enemy's attacks often take us uh, out of uh, walking in and experiencing uh, what it is that God desires for us. And so you and I, we're not going to be taken off guard. We're not going to be found uh, not prepared. We're, we're ready, and we've been walking through uh, Ephesians 6, the latter part of Ephesians 6, for quite a while. We've been looking at the armor of God, and I've had some conversations with people uh, who have mentioned maybe the flannel board might be a better way to learn this concept, or perhaps I could find armor or a suit of armor and bring it out. The idea is we all have some experience with the armor of God. By and large, I don't want to take for granted the fact that maybe you've never experienced church before, but by and large, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've heard about the armor of God, and, and a lot of us imagine it to be more of a metaphor, and, and certainly it's, it's, it's possible, but also it is a reminder that we're not fighting alone. It's a reminder that we have an enemy that can't be seen, and you and I have to be prepared to meet that enemy. And in verse 10, it says, finally be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil for our battle is not against flesh and blood as we might assume, but it's against rulers and against the authorities and against the world powers of this darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenlies. Because there's a battle going on right now in your life, a battle for your thought life, your prayer life, your finances, your health. There are battles that are going on and battles are fought and they are one minute by minute, second by second, and the enemy has a name. It's rulers and authorities and world powers of this darkness. And the difference maker for you and I is to recognize that we're in a fight, to recognize that we have an enemy that we can't see and to prepare accordingly. And we find in verse 14, it says, stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist. Righteousness like armor on your chest and your feet sandaled with the readiness of the gospel of peace. And in every situation, take the shield of faith, and with it you may be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now take the helmet of salvation. We've gone through the other elements. They're online if you're curious and want to catch up. But today we're talking about what it looks like for us to take the helmet of salvation. What does it mean for us to need a helmet uh, and, and what does it mean for the helmet to actually represent salvation? This feels like a, a, a really important one considering uh, we all need salvation, that we all need to be saved from uh, ourselves, from, from sin. And so today we talk about what the helmet looks like. A helmet uh, is vital for survival. If you've ever gone for a bike ride or dare you get on a motorcycle, you understand it may not be law in the state of Indiana, but it should be, and you should put one on. It's critical for the protection of our brain, our command center. And if the head was badly damaged, then the rest of the armor didn't really matter. If you came out dressed for battle and you just didn't put the helmet on, you'd be in really big trouble because a key component of your life would be exposed and many of the attacks that we experience as human beings are often against the mind. Most of us lose the battle of our mind long before we lose the battle of our hearts. Have you noticed that in your life? Have you noticed that the battle for your thought life, for your focus, for your attention is consistently being waged? And a lot of us lose that battle. And if you lose that battle, you're taken out. 
And salvation protects our minds. And if you're like me, you have a lot of doubts. Which is weird to admit as a uh, pastor in a room full of people, uh, but I have doubts. Like, I have big doubts, and and some days the doubts are larger than other days, and sometimes my questions are greater, uh, but I have doubts. And, And if you're here and you're having doubts as well about salvation and end times and what does it look like for us to fight an unseen force and, and all of this stuff. It's a lot to process and to deal with. And, and if you have doubts, I'm thankful you're here. I'm thankful that you've opened up your life to the possibility that God exists. The people who no longer have doubts have either uh, made up their minds or they have decided, well, they made up their mind either way. They've either decided to align with Christ or decided that there's nothing to doubt. That if we doubt, it means that we've opened up ourselves to the possibility that there's something more going on. And if you have doubts or questions, it means that you've left space for God to work in your life. So I want us to work through those doubts and to process those doubts. Doubts are a shovel that as long as you're digging to find an answer, then you're working towards, uh, towards finding God. It's when we stop digging. It's when we stop asking that, that we're in trouble. And the enemy, enemy understands this. He understands that you and I have doubts, and he tries to work his way into those doubts that we have. And, and doubts like a shovel should be digging for the truth. But a lot of us ask questions without looking for the answer. Do you know those people? They just want to keep you wrapped up in this mind game of questions that keep endlessly circling around and you don't really know what they're looking for or what they want. They just want to be confusing. Confusion is a tactic of the enemy. The enemy doesn't want us to seek the truth. The enemy just wants us to dig. He just wants us to ask, never looking for any concrete answers. The enemy can keep us in a state of confusion. And if we stay in a state of confusion, we're not able to fight. We're not able to clearly articulate our enemy and and fight and face our enemy, and the mind is described as a set of cognitive faculties, including consciousness, perception, thinking, judgment, and memory. The mind is the faculty of the human being's reasoning and thought. That our mind is essential, and for our mind to be focused is necessary for us to be able to face our enemy, but we often confuse the mind with the brain. The brain is this uh, tangible object that processes and stores information, like a hard drive on a computer, where the mind is something deeper. It's maybe more uh, ethereal. And the mind is not a physical object, but it's a process. It's a way of thinking. It's the way of us dreaming and imagining and creating in our minds. And evidence suggests that the mind and the brain, they're interconnected. They work together. Uh, Though neurologists are still studying and trying to get to the bottom of how they're connected, we know that they are connected. And many believe the mind actually has a mind of its own. And a lot of us, we're we're trying to figure out what's next in our lives. And in order for us to move next, our mind has to imagine it. And each of us, we have this unique um, thought life. We have feelings and perceptions and memories and beliefs and attitudes and a unique set of regulatory patterns. And for you and I, we're all so creative and so unique that our minds are very different. And yet we're also very the same in that our minds dictate and determine the direction of our life. And these patterns, they shape the flow and energy of information inside of us. And they determine where we go and what we do. And what we know about the mind is that the mind wields great power. We can think our way into clinical depression. We can think our way into uh, being paranoid to the point of uh, fear keeping us in our homes, we can think our way into and out of issues and problems. And, and as human beings, we've created wonderful and imaginative things, but we've also done a lot of destruction. 
It's with the human mind, our mental state. It has a dramatic effect on the, the trajectory and the course of our lives. And some studies actually show that the mind can bring help and healing to parts of the body. What we know, though, is that God has given us a mind, and it's to be used to seek him, to pursue him. And the moment we get off track, we become vulnerable to the enemy's attacks. And the first thing we must do in our lives is recognize that we have thoughts coming in all the time. There are constant thoughts moving in and going out positive and, and negative, pointless and, 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 and pointed. There are things that are always going on. And when we turn our awareness inward, we can actually begin to pay attention to the thoughts that we're having. It's amazing to me how I can go an entire day without paying attention to the thoughts that I've had. And I'm just kind of processing, kicking them around, like ping pong in my head, like keep this one, throw this one out, keep this one, move this way. And when you actually start paying attention, your brain is working hard, your mind is working hard. But you're never not thinking. We're going to try this experiment together. You ready to be experimented upon? I want everybody across the room, I want you to just clear your head. Thinking of nothing. Close your eyes if you need to. Clear your head. Nobody's thinking of anything. How long can we hold that process of thinking of nothing? Because the second we hear a noise, we go, what was that? The second we feel the air blowing in our hair, we go, well, not me, but you. We go, what was that? Second the light hits us, something transpires, and it hits a thought. Everything is a thought. We can't clear our head. I mean, I've tried mindfulness. I've got several apps, and I really, really, really try. Sometimes I try to clear my head so hard that it hurts. It's like I'm trying so hard, and I can't do it. I can't keep myself blocked out of thinking because we're constantly thinking. And some of that's positive, but a lot of it's negative. And the reality is that we should always be uh, thinking on the Lord. And, and that feels really uh, difficult and challenging. And the problem is the thoughts that we had are most often not positive. And a lot of us, if we're not well trained in or skilled in or mindful of, we'll begin to bring in thoughts that aren't godly, that are uh, thoughts of doubt or uh, uh, of, of harm or that are just simply degrading to ourselves. We speak to ourselves much worse than we would ever speak to anyone that we know. And we, we harness those thoughts. We allow those thoughts to be, uh, be things that we ruminate on. We process those things. And those things affect us, the positive ones as well as the negative ones. But a lot of us are the byproduct of the negative thoughts that we've allowed to enter into our minds. The way we perceive ourselves. The things that we tell ourselves. Which is why Paul says this in Romans 8. For those who live according to the flesh, they think about the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirits, about the spirit. For the mindset of the flesh is what? It's up there. You guys got it. You need to borrow these? <laughs> For the mindset of the flesh is what? It's death. This is something we need to know. I need to make sure we do not move past this, but the mindset of the spirit is what? It's life. Life and peace. Those are two things I want. I want to gravitate towards. I want to desire life and peace. And yet, if my mindset is not right, it inevitably leads me to death. For the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit itself to God's law, for it is unable to do so. There's something really important transpiring in this passage. When we change our mindset or the thing that our mind is set on, we change our attitude and our actions. Have you ever really hated a certain food, like hummus? And you're like, why would I need crushed up? Peas, that's disgusting. And then all my kid, this, my middle child just did this the other day. He's like, that's gross. I eat hummus often. And uh, I don't know why I admitted that, but I did. Uh, and he's like, I don't want to eat it. And I'm like, try it. And he tries it. And he's like, oh, 
It's not bad because as mindset changes, we do this on a consistent basis where our mindset is set and then we finally branch out of that mindset. See, the problem is our minds are easily distracted and they easily get off course. And I think this is why Paul describes salvation as a helmet because it readies us. It's the mass that holds the ship upright. That salvation is what grounds us and it centers us. That as our minds begin to wander and they travel and they journey all over the map, we're thinking of tacos and we're thinking of uh, car tires and we're thinking of what we're wearing and we're thinking of how we feel and are we cold, are we hot? We're all over the map and salvation comes back and it readies us, it steadies us. This is what was done for us. We must reclaim our minds. We've got to take it back from the enemy. We've got to recognize this reality that we're never not thinking and that a lot of the thoughts that come into our minds, whether they're actually the enemy or they're just us living in a fallen world, uh, not guarding our hearts and and protecting our minds or are coming in and flooding us with thoughts that are not godly, we'll have to do battle for our thought life, but we'll have to do battle for every thought. Meaning it's going to be a ping pong match. You don't get to let one go. We're going to consistently be fighting for our thought life. And the way we do that is the first thing we have to do is we have to test the informer. We have to test the informer. Every one of us have informers. These are uh, the person or the thing that report to you. They're the things that give you your information. It can be an inner voice, an inner dialogue that you hear. Or it could be culture or a media or it could uh, uh, be friends or, or whatever. It's informing us. It's shaping our worldview. It's shaping our mindsets. It's that thing in your life that, that helps shape really who you are. It's our inner dialogue because it never stops. It's consistently speaking, consistently informing us that I have a lot of informers in my life. When I look at my life, I realize that I have a lot of informers, and some of them are really good, and I know the good ones, and I bounce ideas past, or hey, I'm thinking about creating this, or doing this, or writing this. What do you think? And, and they give positive feedback, and they're helpful, and then I know the people that aren't good informers, the people that would rather tear down than build up, or the people that are uh, not wholesome or healthy or positive in our lives. And, and the problem is, many of the informers that I do have, I haven't been able to articulate whether they mean well or not. Some of the informers that I have are the books that I read, or the podcasts I listen to, or the music that, I, uh, that, I, uh, that shapes me. But a lot of times what happens is the strongest and the loudest informer in my life often ends up being my cell phone. I try so hard to limit my time on the phone. I have screen time set up. My kids don't understand why I would have screen time set up on my phone. I'm an adult. I can be on it all day. And yet I do. I know the password, so it's cheating. But I have it set up because I want to be mindful of the amount of time that I spend on the phone because what happens with the phone specifically is doom scrolling, I think is the term. That's what the kids call it. They, the idea that we just scroll aimlessly because there's nothing going on. And all of a sudden, we're having informers come in with a flood, and we don't even know what's coming up next. The scary thing about flipping up or left or whatever you do is that we don't know what's coming. And what I've found to be true in my life is that uh, I can be kind of focused and, and, and really have my mind under control and, and have a, a course of action set for me, and, and I can see something on a social site that I didn't even intend to see. It's a scroll, it's a swipe, and, and it throws me off. And then I do it again, and it throws me off, and I do it again. We're not meant to have that much information thrown at us all the time. That our brains are uh, at full capacity, and we're jumping more onto it. I don't need to know what you had for breakfast or where you went this past weekend. Like, there's so much information that we're trying to to grab on and hold on to. And then we have the news and politics and and weather. and, And all of this is just overwhelming, that we are 
being informed so rapidly, we cannot choose what's good and what's not. We don't have time to go, oh, I'm going to keep this, I'm going to throw this out. And a lot of us, we, we are so overwhelmed by it that we've almost given up and that we just keep scrolling and keep scrolling. And the danger in, in these informers is that they lead us astray so often. We don't even think about it. And it's why social media is so dangerous, but it's not just social media. It's, it's everything that we allow into our lives. If we are not good gatekeepers with what we allow into our lives, toxic people and, and information will, will mislead us. And the vast majority of our thoughts and opinions are directly affected by the people around us and the things that we listen to and watch. And so if we're not happy with the thoughts that we're having, we have to look at what we're allowing ourselves to be exposed to. We form our opinions based on what we listen to and and read. And all of this informing us is not being filtered through the lens of our salvation. And if your mind is not set on Christ and the things that inform you, they're ultimately going to be misleading you. And I don't mean you, I mean me, like us, together. The things that inform us ultimately will mislead us if we're not intentional, if we're not testing the informer. Isaiah 26 says it this way, you will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace, for it is trusting in you. I love this idea that we can actually have our mindset on perfect peace. I'm not even fully aware of what that even looks like or means. But it sounds enticing. It sounds like, A mind that might be set on Christ would be a peaceful mind. Not having to constantly be bombarded with informers. It's perfect peace. Every day holds the potential to hand over control of our lives to something or to someone. And I'm not just picking on cell phones because it's everything and it may be something different for you. But for me, I hand over too much control of my life over to my phone. And whatever is happening in the moment. Have you ever known someone though who lives this lifestyle of like total sin and debauchery? You just know these people that have given their lives over to, to sin. They'll just go wherever they want and drink whatever they want and sleep with whoever they want. And, and maybe that's you and we're happy you're here. But if, if it's not, we, you know people like this who've just given control over to their life. And often we look at that person and go, how did you get there? Or if we are that person, we go, how did I get here? And it started with a thought. It started with a thought, a single thought. And what we don't see in other people's lives, and we certainly don't see this in our life, is the process that that thought led us or them through. It's a thought of, I'll just do this, and then all of a sudden this process led them to this place. People surround themselves with informers and reinforce the decision that they like and believe in, and all of a sudden we're reinforcing that mindset, that narrative of who we are, and we hold on to these deep moral convictions, and, and they're all at risk of becoming irrelevant in a world that is forcing us to align with the masses. That if we're not careful with our thought life and the things that inform us, we'll actually begin to realize that we are normalizing uh, fleshly desires, And we'll move away from godly things and we'll move more into fleshly desires. And the more we expose ourselves to those images and those uh, language and that mindset, it normalizes that behavior. And and I'm overtly aware and have been for the last year, uh, several years, I guess maybe I'm just getting older. I don't know if that's how that works. But uh, I'm more aware of the language, the foul language that's being tolerated and accepted, even in my own friend group, where it's becoming normal. If you use foul language, it's fine. I'm not judging. I'm just observing like, as, as, as an observer outside, I'm kind of going, okay, we didn't do this when I was younger. Like, I didn't hear it. Maybe I was insulated. But it's more commonplace. And the more it's not thought of or talked about or exposed, it just becomes who we become as a society. And what does that look like 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now? I'm not a futurist. I'm just saying that at some point we have to go, hold on a second. 
The things that we allow into our lives, we normalize and then they become part of who we are. And your first step is to declare out loud that you're not going to allow any outside force to do your thinking for you. Just because it's culturally appropriate does not mean it's biblically appropriate. Just because others are doing it doesn't mean we allow it into our lives. And in Romans 12 it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. We're reminded that we should not conform to this age, but we have to actually renew our minds. See, Romans is telling us that in order to not conform to the world, we have to rebuild our minds. We have to renew our minds. And the way we renew our mind is by testing our informers. What are we allowing into our lives? So the next time you're faced with a, a thought or a decision, ask yourself, is this me? Is this God? Or is this the world? And sometimes two might be the same. You and the world may align, but ask yourself, is this thought from God? Is it from me or is it from culture? Is it from the world? Where is this thought coming from? Is it wholesome? Is it healthy? Is it bringing life and peace? Or is it bringing death and destruction? And the answer to this question, it may save your life. What am I allowing into my life? The second thing is we have to change the pathway. You and I am a closet neurologist. Some of you may or may not know that. Uh, I don't have any degrees to show for it, uh, but my wife did do some medical stuff. So uh, I think that qualifies me to be a closet neurologist. The idea uh, that our brains uh, are creating neurological pathways, uh, anytime we think of something new, the first time we use a word or the first time we do something, we're creating a pathway neurologically in our brains to, to all of a sudden allow that to be a possible thing to happen again. When you first learned to brush your teeth, that was a new concept. It was weird, it was awkward, it was uncomfortable. I wasn't there, but I'm sure it was. And, and then you learn. And then over time, your brain goes, that's easy. You didn't even think about it today. You just did it, hopefully. Uh, you just followed through the process because of neurological pathways. We're creating these things in our brains. First time you said a bad word, you're like, oh, I shouldn't have, maybe, it's okay. Nobody, nobody got I didn't get in trouble. Now it's become normalized and on and on and on. That you and I, if we want to change our thinking, we have to change the pathways that we've allowed to be created in our minds. This is why it's so difficult for people with drug addiction or alcohol to quit because they've created neurological pathways in their brain where that is the default. I'm depressed or I'm having a hard day. I'm going to do this. Uh, this happened. It's a trigger. I'm going to go into that because these pathways are leading us astray. And it's why a cheating spouse is more likely to cheat and on and on and on because we've allowed these things that were once taboo to become commonplace that the brain has created a pathway because it loves familiarity. It's lazy, your brain, and it's lazy and it wants to have something comfortable. And, and, and it creates these grooves in our brains that allow us to move in. And the only thing that I can liken this to in my own life is vinyl records. I have rediscovered the beauty of vinyl records. Uh, I rebuilt my granddad's uh, record player, mostly just cleaned it up. And I uh, started rediscovering vinyl records. I love music. And what I've noticed in vinyl is that it's more intentional. You've got to really want to listen to music because it just doesn't endlessly play like Spotify. It doesn't just keep repeating. And so uh, the other thing about vinyl is when you drop that needle uh, and, and it gets in that groove, it's in that groove. And you can bump it and hit it and knock it out. You shouldn't, but it's in that groove. And if you dropped it on a song you liked, you're in that groove. If you didn't, you're still in that groove. It's in that moment. And I feel like what a lot of us don't realize is a lot of us have allowed our thought life to fall into a groove of a song we don't like, and we don't know how to change it. And it just keeps playing over and over and over. It's just this endless thought loop that we have. And I don't know what that looks like for you. 
Maybe it's that you're not enough, or maybe that you uh, are overweight, or maybe it's whatever. Whatever that looks like for you, it's this endless thought loop that goes around and around and around. You keep hearing the same song because what you permit, you ultimately promote. And the reason is because we had that thought at one point, I'm not enough. And all of a sudden that groove wore in, the needle dropped, and we just kept hearing it. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. Maybe somebody told you something. He said something to you, and the helmet of salvation wasn't strapped firmly on our minds, and as if it bouncing off, it, it permeated, it created a groove, and now all of a sudden, neurologically, you are in that pathway because of neuroplasticity, though, the brain's ever potential uh, for changing. We have the capacity to recreate or rechange our brains. We can rewrite our brains. Your brain literally redesigns itself around new thoughts. It's why learning a new skill set is so weird. My daughter's learning to play the trumpet. She's not good at it, not at all. She might be one day. Right now, she's about as bad as one can get. And I'm not blaming her. I tried to play it too. And I'm pretty horrible. I can play a few instruments, but I cannot play that one. So if you know how to play, help us out. The idea, though, is that if she keeps up, her brain is creating neural pathways to help become easier. It's something new for her. See, for you, the new thought might be that you are enough. That Christ died for you, that your new identity is not found in who others think you are, but in who Christ has told us we are, and we're enough. That your new trumpet ability might come in the form of having to repeat over and over, I'm not what others have said about me. I'm not my biggest mistake. Your brain is designed to look for patterns and create neurological pathways. So can we intentionally force ourselves to create new pathways that are wholesome and helpful? Because unless we break free from those thought patterns, we're going to be still having those same thoughts 20 years from now, 30 years from now. You're still going to look back and go, oh, man, I'm not enough. Oh, man, I'm overweight. Oh, man, I don't have this or I'm not that. And if we don't create new uh, pathways, we're just going to be stuck. And in order to break free from our unhealthy and unwholesome ways of thinking, we have to new, wear new patterns. And in Philippians 4, it says, in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is that supernatural pathway that God gives us, the ability to screen what we hear and ultimately affect what we do, that we're wearing new ruts in our brains. And one of the ways that I've been able to reset my pathway is to do what Colossians says, is to set your mind on what is above, not on what's on earth. This is how we do this, is we stop thinking in earthly terms. We start to put our mind on above. We start to imagine our salvation. Every week here we receive communion, and we will again before we go. And We do this to remind us. But maybe for you, you need to do that every day. You need to lay a little cracker and a little juice or whatever you have available. And every day before you leave the house, you need to be reminded of what Christ did for you and I. That when I set my mind on what is above, when I seek the mind of Christ, I notice my pathways start to change. My attitude, my behavior, the way I treat one another, it changes. And the only way to counter persist lies and unhealthy ways of thinking is to wear a new set of ruts, a new groove in our minds, listen to a new song. So we have to shift the focus. That's what we do is we shift the focus. Because our brains are easily distracted, when we find ourselves in the groove of something that we know is not wholesome or helpful, let's just shift the focus. Let's just bump the record player a little. Let's just watch it scratch across to pick a new song. And let's live our lives, maybe this coming week, with a different song and see if it shapes and changes the way we treat one another, because the problem with how we attack our problems is often we go after the problem, not the mindset that led us to the problem. You've done something you know is sinful. You've had a thought and you've allowed it to turn into actions. We deal with the actions. We don't deal with the mindset. Oh, I won't do it again. Well, that's simple. Fix that. Let's move on. 
Only we do because the pathway's still there. Next time we have a trigger, that's the thought we go back to. Something happens, oh, here we go again. Back in this groove again. But if we shift the focus and we get back to Christ, we can begin to address the problem, which is our mindset, and to create a new neurological pathway, you have to take the focus off of the old habits, and they eventually fall away. When we shift the focus to new habits, we're focused on creating something new. We're learning to play the trumpet, and all of a sudden, our intention, our efforts, our focus, our time is all in learning to play the trumpet, and it's no longer having these thoughts And if we don't give that sin any time to set in our brain, then we begin to take awareness and focus into something wholesome and what is good. And as we wear this helmet of salvation every day, our minds become insulated against the desires of the flesh, against the world and its desire to have us fall in line. What we put into our minds comes out in our lives. Want to change your life, change your mindset. Change the things you allow in. Romans 8 says, for set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. You want life and peace? Then we know what we're supposed to set our mindset on. We know what we're supposed to dwell on. So the moment we have a thought that is not bringing us towards life and peace, we bump the record player, it goes back. Paul actually says that to think about the things of the flesh is death. It doesn't lead us to death. It actually is death. It is death for us. Paul is telling us, though, that we can choose to focus on the lust of the flesh, or we can choose to focus on Christ. We can choose this as a, as a free individual. We can uh, intentionally decide that we're going to focus on the things of, uh, above. Because when we think of sin and we allow it to uh, settle in, what I know is that it's never satisfied. Whatever that sin is that you would imagine is never satisfied. So if that sin wants a drink, it doesn't want a drink, it wants a lot of drinks. If that sin wants a little drug to not feel, it wants a lot of drug. It just doesn't tell you that on the front end. If it wants to, to have sex, it doesn't want a little bit, it wants all of it. It doesn't tell you on the front end that it wants to take from you your entire life, it just says, hey, it's just this time, this one time, and then all of a sudden it leads us to a life that we never imagined because it's never satisfied, and also sin never brings peace. I've tried. I keep trying. I don't know about you. I keep trying to see if sin will satisfy in the moment, and every time I'm like, it doesn't. It tricks me over and over. The devil doesn't come with new tricks. He's like, it's going to be better this time. It's never better this time. Sin never solves problems. It actually creates more problems. Have you realized that? I mean, maybe in others' lives, not ours, but we see that the sin in their life has actually created more problems for them. And it's easy to see objectively in others' lives and go, if you would just not do that, you'd be better. It's a lot harder to see it in our own lives, where our sin keeps leading us to more sin, which leads us to unhappiness, and it leads us into more problems. That sin will always cause more problems than it solves. In Philippians 4, it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any moral excellence, if there's any praise, then dwell on those things. If you want to wear new patterns in your brain, you want to stop playing the same song over and over. It's familiar. We love familiarity. I love to hear a song. I know most of the lyrics too. I don't know all the lyrics to any song, but I know most of the lyrics. I like familiarity. I would almost rather hear the voice say you're not enough than to hear a new voice because that's uncomfortable. I'm not, I'm not familiar with that voice. But if you're tired of the same thing, playing over and over, then here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to dwell on whatever is commendable. If there's any moral excellence, if there's any praise, then we dwell on these things. 
And it's going to be a little weird at first because you're going to have that thought and you're going to go, nope, I got to get to this one. I got to bump the player. It's going to skip and it's going to feel a little weird at first. But then we're going to go, no, I'm going to dwell on whatever's commendable. I'm going to dwell on whatever's morally excellent. I'm going to dwell on praise. Philippians says, do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. This is what the helmet of salvation provides for you and I. It provides us a sense of peace. That if you've aligned your life with Christ, you've invited Jesus into your heart, you believe that he died on the cross for your sins and you consistently take your sins to the cross and through grace and through mercy we realize we're forgiven. We walk in that forgiveness. We begin to confront every thought we begin to wear new tracks and we begin to uh, dwell on what is commendable and what is holy and we dwell on Christ. We'll find peace, a sense of peace. And we can chase a lot of other things to try to find this peace. And we do and we will. Scriptures are telling us, let's put on the, salva- the helmet of salvation. And the end result will be peace. The peace that can only be found in Christ. So I want us to do that today. I want us just to pause and I want us to focus on Christ, the cross, and what he's done for us. So if you would, across the room, go ahead and just bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you've got something in your hands, maybe lay it down. If you want to set your hands on your lap, maybe palms up if you're comfortable. Shake your shoulders out a little bit. Recognize there's some tension in your neck. Understand there's some thoughts that are coming in that you've got to reject, you've got to kick out. I know we got lunch coming, we're about to wrap up, all these things, let's just allow those thoughts to come in and then just allow them to go right back out. We're not focusing on those. We're not focusing on the things that distract us. So as we relax, as we allow those thoughts to flow in and out of our minds, and we begin to create space. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's any praise, dwell on these things. Christ, we put you at the center of our thought life. We allow our salvation, the work of the cross, to guard our minds so that as we have thoughts that are not of you, may we allow those thoughts to easily pass so that we may focus on whatever is good. Father, in this moment, I surrender my mind to you. All of us across this room, if this is your prayer, pray this prayer. I surrender my mind to you. I consent to the truth of Christ's grace. God, we allow you to transform me by the renewing of my mind. Moment by moment, fill my thought life with images of you. Enlighten me to know you and the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your suffering. I choose, I choose to live according to the peace that I have with you in Christ. Reorient my affections towards you and what you choose to provide for me. Empower me to renew my mind daily, to aim my mind towards heaven and to rest in my new mindset in Christ. Father, we ask these things in your name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.